0: You're listening to a podcast from the Swedish House of Finance, Sweden's national research center for financial economics. This podcast is for everyone with a curiosity for finance and an interest in academic research. To learn more about the Swedish House of Finance, visit houseoffinance.se. Hello, everyone. I
1: am Paolo Sudini.
0: And I'm Anastasia Girshina and we are recording at the Swedish House of Finance at the Stockholm School of Economics. So today we're going to talk about how to think about risk. And in particular about the risk we take when it comes to managing our savings. So we'll first talk about what is perhaps the most common financial wisdom or the advice that we most commonly hear from our financial advisors, which is the fact that we need to take a lot of risk in our portfolios when we are young, and that we need to decrease it gradually as we age and approach our retirement. We'll then uh, talk about the role of attitudes towards risk when it comes to managing our savings and our investments and about other factors which should affect our choices. And we're gonna conclude by thinking about why not everyone invest in the stock market. So let us start and uh, uh, let us start with um, uh, bringing up the financial advice that we commonly hear um, which is, when we are young, we have to invest in stocks, whereas when we are old, we should be investing in bonds, bank accounts or other safe financial instruments. So, um, Paolo, maybe you could talk a little bit about why is it the case and what is behind that advice?
1: So, I think to understand that advice, one needs to understand the concept of human capital. So, let's think about the person that is young and... Um, as you can imagine, it's the start of her working career, didn't have enough time to build savings substantially, but let's assume you know enough to have a comfortable life and then a little bit of extra. What should she do with this extra amount of money? So we have to remember that she's starting a career. She's starting a, a, a long career, in fact, and she will earn a steady monthly labor income until she's gonna retire. So that's a pretty steady cash flow going forward and uh, a monthly substantial amount of money that she's gonna receive uh, as she works. Now, if you think about this, it's like as if she would be sitting on a bond that pays this amount of money over time. And we think about this bond as her human capital. In fact, she's able to generate this amount of uh, this labor income because of her human capital. And ignoring this prospect and the fact that this prospect changes over her working life is a lot of money because there are many years to come uh, at the beginning and less money as you approach retirement, ignoring that this human capital, the value of this bond, how much money she will still earn because of labor income changes over time and it becomes smaller as you get closer to retirement would be a mistake when it comes to uh, deciding how much to invest in the stock market.
0: I really like this metaphor that we are like wandering bonds, like this fixed uh, income asset that generate the, the income. But uh, what I'm wondering about is, are there some estimates? So can we quantify how much we you know, have of that on our balance sheet of this human capital? And uh, and also maybe you could explain more about why it shrinks over time, and uh, and also how exactly we should take into account uh, the human capital when we are take when we are thinking about how much risk to take in our portfolio.
1: If you think about someone who has some post high school education on average in Sweden and is about thirty years old, we are talking about. 10 million krona, something like that. Of course, the estimate varies a lot, but I mean, it's a substantial amount of money. It's definitely tons of money compared to the little financial wealth that people were able to build up at the beginning of their career. Um, so because you can you can rely on this steady cash flow that comes from your labor income, then you can afford to take the little financial wealth that you have built at the beginning of your working life and invest it all in the stock market. In fact, you you should almost lever up to invest in the stock market since uh, you are pretty safe on the fact that you have human capital and you will have this stream of labor income uh, going forward. As times goes by, the number of years you're going to earn labor income shrinks. And so the value of this asset that is basically pays off all this cash flow has to shrink over time and is still there at retirement because if we have saved for retirement either ourselves in some countries or through uh, or the state saves for us because we still have to receive that but obviously it it, it shrinks quite dramatically after retirement
0: so if i may paraphrase then the human capital is really like not yet realized future earnings or a little bit like paper gains that are not tangible yet but then if this is the way how we think about human capital then we really should be thinking about labor income as being really safe so it's like a fixed income asset that we have the human capital or you know so how should we think about labor income being safe and maybe if not safe, then not as volatile as, as, stock, as stock returns. Or even if volatile, then at least not that much related to stock market returns in the sense that when stock market crashes, then uh, we are not going to lose our jobs. And or at least when our investment goes down, we are not going to you know, one day remain without our labor income. So how should we think about that?
1: It's a default. <laughs> it's a risky bond. <laughs> That's the short answer. Uh, and then the amount of risk and the type of risk that actually this bond uh, entails um, depends on the sector in which you work and the occupation you have. Or even within the same sector, it makes a big difference if you are more a blue-collar worker or, uh, or a white-collar worker, I have more a managerial position and things like that. Um, so I'm not saying it's safe, uh, but... Uh, there are mechanisms that society has built up to make it safer, unemployment insurance, for example. Um, and, uh, and of course, there are some sectors that are on the one side of the spectrum, the safest side, such as the public sector, where actually the amount of risk you, you take is quite limited. And then if you think about the other extreme, we're talking about the construction sector or the financial sector, which actually are quite volatile, and they tend to indeed correlate with the stock market. So the advice that you should go all the way into stocks uh, is really an advice that fits perfectly uh, public sector employees, if you want, or people that have human capital that is largely unrelated to the stock market. Now, for the other sectors, which type of risk are we talking about? is the fact that when the stock market tanks, the number of people that lose their job and how much people lose in terms of labor income tends to spike up, okay? So we say, like, the skewness uh, increases on on the left side of the distribution. Um, And so uh, when the stock market drops. And that type of risk actually could reverse the recommendation that we were talking about before. If you sit on human capital and a lot of human capital and it's risky in that sense, then you might not want to invest as much in the stock market. And obviously that depends uh, how large is unemployment insurance in your country and so on and so forth
0: so um, if I uh, if I were to make a, a small summary here then it, really the way we should be thinking about this financial advice is well it depends on human capital and then depends on the job you have and on the type of labor income that you're gonna have in your uh, future career but if you take you know the safest, job that we can think of, so, you know, a, a, for example, a public employee that you've mentioned before. So, can we quantify how large is, in fact, the effect of having this human capital asset on our balance sheets when we think about how much risk to take in our portfolios?
1: It's, it's huge, because uh, think, about, think about the balance sheet of a young person, probably has a few hundred thousand in the best scenario saved in the bank account. And then we're talking about 10 million in a safe bond. Okay, so you have a huge incentive to, pull, to put those few hundred thousand in the stock market. So you should be all in the stock market. In fact, you should even borrow to invest in the stock market so you can earn a levered return on it, a much higher return. So we're talking about like equity premium, six percent five 6% add risk-free rate, which historically around 2%. Real, so we're talking about eight percent, seven percent, without levering up. If you lever up, you go to eleven percent per year on average that you're gonna earn on your saving for a long period of time. So it's as you if you're young and you work in a safe sector, you definitely should go all in and even lever up. And I would say, and this effect it, it's quite stays large for a long time. You know, you have to let this ten million to go down quite a bit before this reverses. So this means that uh, so it has to be that financial wealth has increased enough to counterbalance how much you have in this human capital in this bond, and that you're close enough to retirement. So I think, you know, for those people, easily be all in the stock market until 50, 55 years old, and then you start levering, you know, taking it down.
0: And can we say then that that was the reason why premium pension default option? used to give a levered position in the stock market, at least in the beginning of the working life, so for younger people?
1: Yeah, totally. I think, uh, I think the reason why the premium pension system was designed like that was based on this assumption. But remember, human capital, any type of asset on which we can rely on and gives us a steady income would play the same role. And in, in the case of the premium pension system, you have the state pension which is going to be paid as an annuity, annuity, as a steady monthly income after you retire. So you're safe on that. I mean, unless, you know, there's going to be large political uh, risks, unless, you know, the whole country is in trouble, then it's not clear politically what's going to happen. But if you can rely on that, then there is a good reason why the PPM, which is just a small part of our contribution, should be all levered up. And I actually personally think it was a mistake to take that away
0: that That's interesting, because, in fact, it's um really difficult for retail investors to borrow to invest in stocks, while it's easy to borrow you know against the house, but it's really hard to borrow to invest in stocks. So um, that does sound like it, it it was an opportunity to do
1: that. Absolutely. So I mean, I- indeed, I don't think you can go to your bank and 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 ask for one million in, in debt in order to be invested in the stock market. But you can definitely, uh, you know, ask for many millions to 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 buy your house. And the reason why you can do that is is the fact that you can pay it off. And you can pay it off because you can rely on human capital. It's the same exact logic. So when I talk about... Fixed income. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like when I talk about um, you should be only in the stock market, uh, um, I should say... You should be all in the stock market for the amount of money that you have extra. And uh, at the same time, since you can't borrow, uh, you know, feel free to buy an apartment and borrow up for it early life. Because you're going to earn a leveled return on that too.
0: That does sound like a risky investment.
1: But again, I mean, it is because... You can back it up with human capital and it shouldn't be for any profession. Uh, It should be for those that are safe. And in fact, you know, we get checked when you go to the bank on whether you can do that.
0: We have now talked quite a bit about human capital, so maybe let us change gears a little bit. So... um, Is human capital really the only major factor we should consider when we think about how much risk to take in our portfolios? Um, So what I'm thinking, for example, is when we think about investing in stocks, which is a risk investment, I'm thinking about that some people might want to have more risk and some people are less willing to tolerate risk. Should we take this attitude towards risk into account as well?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, our attitude towards risk is always at the basis of everything. Um, but before you can wipe out the effect of human capital, they have to be quite extreme if uh, people, I mean, at least when it comes to human capital, that it is uh, uncorrelated with the stock market. doesn't move much with the stock market. Um, at the same time, when human capital doesn't play a role, i.e. for rich people, they have so much financial wealth compared to human capital, That actually, that effect I was talking about before cannot kick in. At the same time, also, people might have worked many, many years, so they don't have much human capital left. Then, how much risk to take in the stock market should be driven by your personal risk attitudes. And this is why, typically, when you go in a meeting with a financial advisor, they ask you a question to to kind of understand how you, you feel about the risk and how much risk you would like to take. Um, and this is also why we have a directive in Europe that requires these questions to be asked at the beginning of the financial advisor meeting. It is important, though, to remember that we should take a very broad view on risk attitudes. They are shaped largely also by our lifestyle, by our consumption commitments, for example.
0: That sounds like a bridge to what we have been talking last time. So in particular, how how we make our consumption choices. So do you mean that the way we have chosen to consume, so which lifestyle to have should shape also our investment decisions?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you have a a modest lifestyle and little consumption commitments or or, uh, committed expenses in your life, You can afford more to invest in stocks and so that at certain times your uh, savings will shrink dramatically because the stock market might not do as well. But if you rely quite a bit on your labor income or on the return on the wealth you have invested already, for your lifestyle and you have, you know, expensive car, a boat, a very large apartment and so on and so forth, this obviously should have an effect on how much you invest in the stock market. You should be strained for investing too much.
0: And so so when I'm thinking about investing in the in the stock market, given our conversation right now, what I'm thinking about that the equity premium, so the return that comes with stocks comes at a price, which is a risk. But I think that the way we normally think about it is Despite the risk it carries, it's still a good idea to invest in in stocks. Yet we see that in many countries, many people don't invest, and for example, women are less likely than men to invest in stocks. So, do you think the reasons, you know, the factors that should affect our investment choice? We have discussed right now, so human capital, lifestyle, um, uh, risk preferences. Do you think? Some of those would be enough to explain and rationalize the fact that some people just decided not to invest in in the stock market?
1: It's difficult to rationalize that if a person has some extra savings, okay, of course, as we talked last time, you need to build this buffer on which you rely for your daily consumption, for your lifestyle. But so you, have, you
0: need to have some savings to, to start with. Yes, so,
1: absolutely. But yeah. then like beyond that, if you have this extra stuff that sits there, it's very difficult to to understand why at least a little bit you don't put in the stock market. And instead you leave it all there and right now uh, would earn absolutely zero interest actually. So it will lose value over time because of inflation. And what is particularly difficult to, to rationalize is why people have that have built quite a lot of savings that, they, that are parked in, in the bank and they don't plan to use them in the short term, why they don't participate? That's actually a puzzle, if you want, that we have in trying to explain what we see in the data in this sense.
0: But, but also on the, on the positive side, um, in a country like Sweden, for example, um, I think most of us are in a way passively invested in the stock market through the uh, formal pension system. So if you have some pension contributions through the Swedish pension system, that means uh, most likely you will have uh,
1: some exposure to the stock market. No, absolutely. Quite a substantial one, in fact. But in other countries, I mean, this, this, this mechanism might not be there. And still, you might have quite a bit of money in your private savings that are, are parked in, in the bank. And it's a little bit surprising that actually people don't use them. I mean, I personally think that one of the reasons is that financial products are not well-structured, actually. If you think about it, there are so many funds you should choose from, you can choose from, so many stocks you can choose from. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. We have twenty five equity mutual funds, twenty five thousand equity mutual funds in the world, and there are fifty thousand stocks. I mean, there is, as we said already, there are there is one mutual fund every two stocks. Okay, um, so people are confused and they don't know what to trust. There is so much noise in the media. There is much so much reliance on spectacular performance that is difficult to rationalize, if not with luck. Um, that that people actually, I think they they don't feel confident. They 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 stay away from it. They don't they don't feel uh, they don't know what they're getting into. Really, I mean, think about the mutual fund fees. Uh, the average mutual fund fee in Europe is two percent, which means that over 30 years you give a third of your pension to the bank. It's ridiculous when you can actually can invest in products that are equally good, only at uh, at. Uh, 10 15 basis points which means you're going to give like very little to the bank after 30 years and keep most of the money why there is such a range how is it possible and how should people navigate in this jungle
0: so in fact what i'm thinking about is that it is one you know question about how much risk to take and what it depends on but that's a whole different story on how to take that risk and how to choose financial instruments and how to build the risky portfolio. And um, and this is a, you know, a complex question given how, you know, how f- uh, financial markets are right now, but this is exactly what we're going to talk in the next episode, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the next step is exactly to go inside this portfolio that we said we should invest in by uh, taking risk for many reasons such as your attitudes or human capital and we'll try to understand how uh, we can navigate to that jungle
0: so let us summarize the today's conversation so what we did today we talked about how much risk to take in our portfolios um, and uh, how we should think about um investing in risky assets such as stocks or equity mutual funds and and what we talked about more specifically is that uh, when we think about uh, risking investments, we should think not only about past income and current savings but also about all our future earnings or what is called human capital. Yet once we account for the human capital still the decision how much to be exposed to risky assets remains subjective and in particular depends on our preferences towards risk. Some people, can tolerate or even enjoy risk more, whereas others really want to avoid it as much as possible. And also we have to take into account our lifestyle and our commitments. So of course, the more commitments we have to meet on the daily basis, the less exposure we should be willing to tolerate in our investments, in our savings. So this is all for today. And thank you for listening. Thank you. For our listeners who'd like to hear more from us, you can find more podcasts and seminar videos on houseoffinance.se. Don't forget to rate our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.